Welcome to Rules of the Game podcast. My name is Butch Porter and I'm your host. With me today is the one and only Debbie Rose, who was a school board member here in Loudoun County, Virginia. Um, I don't know, a couple of terms ago, you were, you were two terms? No, one uh, one term ago. Um, one I was term ago, in right? two, two terms, but I just didn't run for re-election this last cycle. That's right. Okay, so two terms uh, uh, four years plus ago. So look, Debbie, I wanted to talk to you today because now that the election is over and people still have questions about what's actually going on in Loudoun County Public Schools, uh, I figured somebody who's a former school board member might be able to shed a little light on it. So um, one of the things that, that, uh, um, that I keep telling people is that a lot of the issues that, that come up is the, you know, the CRT thing and what is it? 80, 40, was that the, mm-hmm. yep. the, the, 40, the gender thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I keep telling people, especially folks from, you know, back home or who, or folks who don't live here that really the, the reason why it was such, those things became such an issue is because the, the, the school system failed so miserably with managing COVID. Right. So, but tell me, uh, tell me what your thoughts are on, on that. And then we'll just kind of go from there. On the managing of COVID? Or- yeah. Do you think Do you think that a lot of people were just, I mean, because I know like that that group, the LCPS can do better thing mm-hmm. at the beginning was not a conservative group. It wasn't a politically right wing no. group at all. It was very nonpartisan, very bipartisan yes. because people were frustrated that Loudoun County Public Schools were not able to get the kids back in classes, right? Correct. Like a year ago, like yes. a year and a half ago. Yep. Whatever pushing two years now we're getting yeah. close to two years. So, you know, I keep telling people that, um, that it was that sort of mismanagement of distance learning and getting kids back in the classrooms and, and, uh, that really made people not trust them on how they were handling anything else, but maybe I'm wrong. You tell me what yeah. I tell me. I totally agree. You know, it was an issue that came up, um, in terms of the equity, initiatives when I was still on the board at the end of the last term, 2018, 2019. And you definitely got some um, heated discussion, but I would say it was more um, a a pro um, equity movement at that point. And it was responsive to things that happened in the community and in in certain schools that took, you know, it up a notch and and created a, a momentum for more equity initiatives. And those things were going on at the end of my term. But they had kind of, I think kind of, they were still gonna be a simmer and it was still gonna happen in this next term, you know, as they were going to, this new board was certainly, and they did um, find, you know, create a permanent equity committee. And in doing that, you know, these things were gonna still come up. But I do think you're right that they were amplified by the voices of folks who were already angry about school being shut down. And you are absolutely right that that, you know, when I when I ended my term and I welcomed the new board to their positions, I said, good luck. You know, this was just, just before COVID hit. I said, I hope you don't hear from me. I hope that you guys do great things. Right. And take the mantle. I wish you well. And well, then COVID hit. And I, under, I understood. I had some issues with how, how it was handled at the end, but it of the, that school year, almost two years ago, but I gave them some grace on that. But then as we started to get more data, we started to see other school districts handling it better. 
Um, and I was sensing this impending doom about school not being able to open here in Virginia, I became more involved. And I was just a mom, you know, who happened to have been on the board, but I was a mom who understood that this was bad and it was being handled badly and the board members were doing it badly. And, you know, I know that there was, there was a lot, there are many of them that had very good intentions and they were very worried, but they almost got paralyzed or were following um, more political angles in their decisions rather than focusing on the evidence and what was good for students. So at that point I did join the cause and I was in the, in that uh, group that started that LCPS can do better group. And it certainly was very diverse. I mean, I came together and I think this is one of the things that the school board now doesn't understand is that that group brought me together in lockstep with people who were on very different political sides of the aisle from myself for sure. most issues, but it, what was happening to our students and what we watched happen to our students pushed that issue to the vote moving issue. That was it. That was, we watched how bad it happened, what happened to our kids, what it played out to be educationally, um, physically, emotionally, so bad that that became the primary objective for any and all elections for going forward. So whoever was going to be able to respond to our, you know, the needs of our students best was going to get the vote regardless of where they voted last time. And yeah, you, then too, then, so then you started to pile on these issues. Now that you have a body of people who are mad and now you're going to start right, right. adding fuel to the fire of, oh, wait, now we're going to be doing. And, and you can see that there were there is evidence of CRT themed um, um, assignments, teachers, you know, um, lectures, um, you know, it's coming through. Um, and I know from my experience as a board member at the end of our term, you know, we were being responsive to what we thought was um, a, a very poorly planned activity at a certain elementary school, the slave um, game. And at that time, I didn't know that there was more to that game being a something that was part of a programming around that was actually promoted as a positive um, activity to help students understand that subject and that issue in our history. Um, but at that time we were presented with it as being, you know, really it ignited a lot of angry response. And I too thought, oh, this is horrible. It's like what, what happened there? And so you had a push for, for bias training, which had already started to happen. There was already some support for that because as a board member, I had been very involved in um, discipline uh, reforms since right. I came on the board. It was a very big priority of mine. And because of doing that reform, those reform efforts, uh, we were able to finally start to reveal the data that hadn't been published for years about our statistics around suspensions, um, office referrals and expulsions. Sure. And once we started to reveal the data, you could see that there was some disproportionality, usually in the office referrals. Um, and they were present in um, uh, Black, um, Hispanic, and special education student categories. And so that was important to me that we needed to really understand why these office referrals were happening. And I, I at that point, thought, yes, we should all undergo some you know, unconscious bias training. 
But I think that was, I was a little naive in thinking that we were all going to engage in that together and we were all going to learn sure. everybody. We were going to learn a little more something about ourselves and it was going to improve us and that it was driving towards a goal, a specifically identified goal. And this was a strategic action taken to identify, you know, to solve a problem in our office referral disproportionality discipline. But then I went to our very first training as a board member and the very first video that I was shown, I went, wait, 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 what is this? This is, <laughs> this is not it. What I just got shown was something that would promote stereotypes and it promoted I think a really inaccurate perception or a picture. I mean, I, it was, I suppose, intended to um, spur conversation and be kind of controversial, but it was to the point that right. it to others, it would promote this idea that being white meant that you have no problems. And in fact, you are always assisted, always assisted along your path in life by um, having no problems having um, no educational hurdles, no family hurdles, no you know um, health hurdles, no um, and in fact you're handed bags of money uh, you know you are handed right, right, well. right, 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 so right. I raised my hand and I went wait, wait what is happening this is this is not accurate but I was met with blank stares and that's when I realized oh, we may have you know we may now be embarking on a path that I didn't think I was signing on to. And yeah. So at what point, um, I mean, okay. So we're, we're pretty firmly on the CRT thing now. Yeah. So at, at what point does it become something that, that finds its way into the classroom? Because, you know, I, I talked to someone about, the concept of CRT and how, you know, I mean, you get this line where, Hey, look, you know, they don't, you know, T CRT is a law school thing, right? That's mm -hmm. what they teach. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, which is, which is disingenuous arguing, right? In other mm -hmm. words, it's, it's, it's logically flawed because it creates any number of logical, we're not saying that they're teaching theory, right? That's not what we, mean when we right. say that, yeah. that CRT is in our schools. Um, but how does it translate? Like, let's say people who are sort of neutral politically and they're a teacher and they're seeing this sort of thing. How do you, how do you see it translating into the classroom after, you know, teachers, you know, uh, are told that, you know, that, that, you know, because of the color of our skin, we're either oppressors or the oppressed. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Well, I think it's certainly, you know, and when our school board chair says it's not, uh, you know, in the cur curriculum, it is accurate when you hear folks say, no, there isn't a course being taught in CRT. But you can see since the end of 2019, it became part of all of the teacher training, the equity training. So right. that lens and what I watched and what I saw and what I participated in was intended to create guilt um, or to create this sense of um, that you had to be an active, have played this active anti-racist mode um, uh, person in the community. And if right. you didn't, then you were being a racist. So this 
training that I took was the same training that is being given to all of these staff. Um, and it has that in there. So, so are the, and, and even Ms. Bartz, you know, when she was still on the board Bless her heart. To it. and to her credit, she admitted it, it to that and that there are parts of this that are part of the training, but it is trickling down. And you can see in a new proposal that the board is considering for action, I believe in the next week or two, a new policy on equity. And it specifically instructs staff to teach racial consciousness. So this I mean, is what else do you need? This is coming. This is it. Yeah. Sure. So now it's a so it goes from teachers being taught to be, you know, have this mindset and framework. And certainly some of them are going to um, take that and, you know, have be more active. Um, and some are going to resist that, you know, and, and, uh, but, uh, in terms of act, being activists, not that they are going to be, um, you know, somehow, um, you know, not inclusive of all their students, you know, the vast right, majority right, right. of teachers are very, very good teachers and they have the best of intentions, um, in a system so large, you're going to have some teachers who are going to be, um, really, uh, you know, I don't know, um, on your, on your ends, on your, at the ends of the spectrum, and sure. perhaps outside of the mainstream and, 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 and not appropriate in what the, um, teachers say, but, um, it's now we have an actual policy coming forward. And I don't think that many people are aware that it literally says, I don't think people are paying attention to this now because perhaps some of the steam is out of the air. The, the election's over. The election's over. Yeah. Right. And now we didn't pay attention to the fact that this policy says to teach racial consciousness. And honestly, that made me upset that I, I don't want LCPS teaching my students racial, racial consciousness. I feel like we are now beyond mission, um, the strategic, you know, the mission of the, uh, which is teach my kids right now, especially, especially after this last couple of years, they're behind educationally. Sure. And socially. And mentally, and right now is it's. I feel like we are focused on everything but the what the students really want. But isn't that me. like to to my original point? Isn't that because they don't know how to do like? I mean, my my take was when the with this stuff started coming up in 2020, especially towards the fall of 2020. Um, it, it my my take was that they didn't have anything else to talk about because they just weren't doing their normal jobs. Right. So it, it felt good. It felt good to wax, you know, wax woke and anti-racist because, mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and tolerant. And of course the 80, 40 thing is coming, mm -hmm. coming down the pipe too. And we can talk about that in a second, mm -hmm. but I mean, that it felt to me like they were just like, they couldn't actually to your point, catch the kids up academically. Mm -hmm. So let's make sure that we, you know, that we be good activists for the cause and they are activists, right? If you're, yes. Yes. if you're, if you're teaching and the way I like to equate it is that like I teach at a Christian school and I mean, not everything that we teach curriculum wise is Christian based, but, but there's a there's a mindset and mm -hmm. there's a there's an anthropology and how we view mm -hmm. ourselves as human beings. Mm -hmm. And if you're teaching kids, if you're having teachers teach in terms of mm -hmm. 
how kids see themselves as human beings in a certain way, mm -hmm. then you're teaching that way. Right? Correct. You can't avoid it. It has yes. to, it has to come out. So, um, but again, I just think, I mean, to be as charitable as possible, I think at least in the beginning, it's, um, you know, everybody's complaining and griping and moaning about, about their kids falling behind. So let's just make sure we're as woke as possible, which to me is kind of a religion, right? But yeah. Yeah. I, I, they are, uh, it's, it almost felt like there was just a political agenda at some point and an absolute choice by those in charge of our Virginia State Department of Education and down to our county boards, um, local boards for the most part, where despite evidence to the contrary of districts, and I spent a lot of time doing a lot of research because I was really invested in getting, I had, I pulled one of my students out and, and uh, last year and put him in a, a Christian school for the year and one um, wanted to stay, but that was probably really detrimental. But so I did, a, I did research all the time and I kept sending them like data on, at first it was like, well, we can't look at that data about that school system because it's small. I'm like, oh, okay. So now I, what I need to do is to convince you is to find similar sized school districts. So I would find them and I would do it in, find them in Colorado that was, you know, Denver area where they were, you know, clearly not a red state because then it was, oh, you're just pulling data from Florida and Texas. Okay, well, let me find you um, information from school districts that are in blue states. Yeah, actually, Denver, Denver Metro is a very similar, it's, it's very, yeah. it's sort of posh. It's a purple state or it's blue yeah. that was red and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And had similar demographics. So it had mm -hmm. similar challenges with, you know, percentages of ELL students and, yep. you know, um, uh, free and reduced students. So trying to find some similarities where other school districts were finding a way to put students into like a hybrid even uh, where LCPS just refused to see. And it was, um, I, I mean, it, yeah. So they're mismanaging that. And then at the same time though, they are, I, at some point I was so upset because the school board um, chair was very, I think the other thing that um, ignited people's um, passions and interests. And so then they, you know, they were, like you said, they just kind of went in all in on getting their kids back. But then these other things, the other stumbles where they, they weren't paying attention to the students who would come to speak to them at, at board meetings. And these students were passionate. They were crying. They were calling out for help and they would get buzzed because their time was over. Nobody came to speak to them. No one offered at any point at the end of public comment, a word of compassion to the parents and students who were there saying, I have headaches. I can't, you know, I, I'm sad. I have, um, I'm having a hard time, um, you know, just getting out of bed. And it was as if that didn't matter. And then when they would immediately turn on their agenda to these activist policies, it was like, okay. And again, and, and what they're not understanding is that um, the um, LCPS can do better and other similar groups for the most part, these, everyone is on the same page. Nobody wants to see any student be marginalized or not feel included or feel less than, or sure. feel as if they are worthless because that is something that, Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. And and then to be called 
um, a vocal minority or hateful or bigots or any or racist simply because you wanted to caution and say, can we focus on getting the kids back in school? Can we focus on the basics right now? Or even when this, um, there was a, a presentation on that they're learning loss, but you know, the assistant superintendent Ashley Ellis presented this PowerPoint that started off with, what if we think about the last year as having no learning loss and they actually learned more? more. And I just thought we are now in la la land. And <laughs> hey, look, I, I, you know, me, I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a, a school fanatic, right? So yeah. I, I think it's possible some kids might have, right? But <laughs> so, on the whole, yeah. on the whole, um, you know, that's a, that's a bold statement. That's a yeah, bold assumption to go with, right? Yeah. Well, well it's proven to be tr- untrue. You know, it's the, the, as more data comes in, it's proven to be untrue. So yeah, true. some kids were able to thrive, you know, some kids who aren't, um, you know, don't thrive in a traditional school setting. That's they right. found it very successful in d- distance learning. But that was yeah, a so I, Well, the problem is, I mean, if they were actually allowed to just, I mean, some of them would have been better off if they didn't have to do distance learning and they were just, oh, yes. you know, exactly. Agreed. Uh, but if they weren't making it in a classroom and then they were told that they had to be online for seven hours a day, I don't yes. know that that's the, uh, the best, uh, the best solution. So talk to me more about, because I, I think it's a good segue because you mentioned that no one wants the kids to feel like other. When it comes to the 80-40, is it 80-40? Am I saying it right? Is that right? Yeah, is that the policy yeah. number? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people I've talked to in the know on that, and I'm sure you know, I mean, it sounded to me like they were going to have to do something because it's no. mandated by the state, right? No. But that's no. not true. No. Okay. So I talk would, to me about that. I would firmly, because I did some, I did did my research on the policy, did my research on the, on the, on the law. So when you read the um, requirements under the law and what was offered from VDOE was a model policy um, and it had high level objectives that needed to be met in individual school district policies. And that wasn't specific as to how, of course, you know, specific wording, but it offered the high level objectives that needed to be met. And these are no bullying policies. These are inclusive policies, you know, and when you were to compare what LCPS already had in terms of their anti-discrimination policies, um, 1040, which is a, um, which is a broad based principled, like these are the, these are our principles that we abide by here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had those already in place. And I would, right. argue, I would argue, and even Jeff Morse in his, um, response to 8040 when it was passed um, gave a full support of the fact that we have all of these other policies already embedded into LCPS policy on anti-bullying um, uh, and and gender identity and um, sexual orientation already being included in those anti-discrimination policies uh, for students and staff. I argued back when I was on the board, when 1040 was adopted and when they included sexual identity or gender identity and sexual orientation, that um, they, that was essentially a bathroom policy at that point. And if you go back to the, uh, you know, even division council at that time agreed that you were creating um, essentially a bathroom policy there, but this 8040 went further and it, you know, way further. What? Way further. Yes. And in fact, now you have um, 
I think two, two part, well, one part actually. So in, I think they had to do one part and I even emailed them to the, to this effect that there was in the uh, VDOE and the, and the Virginia law that required it um, requirements around privacy and that student privacy around their records about what they, uh, what a student um, preferred their gender or, or had decided their gender to be. So there, that probably, I was like, well, of all of the things that you don't have in policy, that might've been the one thing about, you know, student record privacy on that issue. But that's a, right. that wasn't a, that wasn't the controversial part. No, um, that wasn't the controversial no. so, part. But it is. A, yeah, it is well, a but how does, how yeah. does Tanner Cross fit into this? Right. Because he was, yeah. he was canned for opposing the policy publicly, which was never going to fly because that was a speech issue. And that's, right. you know, right. But what would walk me through a little bit? What would he have, like, if he had, not objected right publicly mm -hmm. and been canned and made a mm -hmm. thing of it. What was the thing he would have done that would have been against the policy? Right. As I've played it out, I think that he, and I, and if you do some research around this too, there's a lot, they, 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 they acted far too quickly because there are other cases across the country where teachers are expressing this kind of concern. Um, and other school divisions, have opted for a, a way to work with the with the employee. So you have a way of, you know, if a student has decided to change their gender, you don't call that student um, by, oh yeah, you're you're a she now, or saying things like that, or or insisting that no, you're not a she, you're a he. Saying, you know, being um, which. I understand we don't want to call out students. We don't want to, we don't further, we don't want to make them feel uncomfortable in those spaces. I get that. But you, there are other ways they could have dealt with it, which is have a decision around calling them by the name they prefer. A name, you know, if you want to be a different name, you have a way of working with staff um, to protect their yeah, I think that the problem, yeah, the problem I had with it was, I mean, the, despite the fact that he hadn't actually done anything, he was no. just expressing an opinion. That's kind Correct. of easy. Correct. But even let's assume for a second, which isn't true, that he had been called out for actually doing something after the policy had been enacted, which, you know, they mm -hmm. were preempting in a sense. It was a preemptive strike to make sure right. somebody doesn't offend a, a teenager or, or, or a student. So, but my problem with it is that you can, you can tell people, you can tell people that they have to respect people's privacy, that they have to, that they have to treat them with respect and love and care, mm -hmm. but you can't tell people what that means. Right. right. I mean, you can't, I mean, I had an argument with someone around that issue, right. When he was being, when it was became public that he had been canned for his, 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 uh, his uh, expressions at the school board that, you know, the premise at play is that is that the only way to care for and express someone who is changing their genders is to embrace their pronouns and their name change and their whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's not there. Walk me through how that's yeah. absolutely objectively true. I don't I sure. you can't. There's no evidence for this. Sure. There's no evidence for this. Right. No, and I, I think you're right. And I think. There's a lot of information out there if people wanted to go look at it. I don't think that the activist crowd and, you know, 
somewhat it's, it's follow the money too. There's a very powerful lobby that's being created around the gender identity issues that people, if they, if you wanted to go, you know, find that there's, there, there are groups that are creating their own, um, power and voice. And that, and, and of course, if you continue this, you know, if you continue the controversy, you, you grow in your, um, ability to be, um, influenced, you know, be a, an important stakeholder in this debate. But I do think there, if people wanted to go and listen, there's a lot of information out there about, um, this unregulated space around gender identity about, about um, the damage that may be done to people who make uh, who allow children to make this choice or to do these things. And sure. the way that they are then subjected to, you know, continued medical um, type of care or needs for certain medications for their life. I mean, so there's ways that, so yes. Yeah, so, you know, caring for them on, you know, Yes, a certain person could say, I'm caring for you because I have a biblical perspective around that I love you because you are right. created, uniquely created by God and I, he didn't make a mistake and that's how I'm showing you care. Or you could be a person who says, I, I'm showing you care because I'm, I, I think that you're a child and you may not be able to make these choices and you're, you could be permanently in a place where you didn't want to be, but because someone let you make a choice as a child. And so whether it's coming from a religious perspective or a medical perspective, there's, there's a lot of information out there that people should be open to hearing about. Well, do you think, I agree. Do you think that he would have been fired if he had, if his objection had been medical? I have no idea. I hadn't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it, I don't think it would have like, I I don't think if he came up there and said medically his blah, 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 this is a bad idea because so-and-so and such and such. Right. I don't, I don't think he would have. I think the reason he was fired is because he made it a religious objection and I can't prove that. I can't prove no. a negative. Right. No. But I think to your earlier point about things being politicized, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's that there was evidence for that. And, but I think it's broader than that. I, I mean, the way that talk a little bit, cause we only got about 10 minutes left but mm-hmm. talk to me more about the the events like after all that happened and then we had you know the incident where uh, the gentleman gets arrested and of course at the time this was like in may or whatever i knew who he was and i knew why he was mad but Mm -hmm. i didn't realize that the rest of the world didn't i just happened to live in the same town and we had friends in common or whatever but it wasn't until months later right before the election when it comes out you Mm -hmm. know that not only was his daughter a victim Mm -hmm. of of a sexual assault by a transgender student, but also in a, in a bathroom, mm-hmm. uh, but also that the person who was there needling him was his next door neighbor, political activist who, who knew good and well why he was upset and knew which buttons to push all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, so skipping kind of through that, we get to that point where it becomes this hyper political thing. And then the school board, decides that it doesn't want to hear anybody's so i think didn't they just now open up school board meetings yeah. again for limited just this last one. and i would credit the new school board member andrew hoyler for initiating that and i know that he um i don't know exactly what he did but i do know it was a priority of his and i am confident that he um was probably the the member that was able to start 
pushing back on what was a um, admin and supported by the rest of the board or some of the the other members of the board to continue to keep the school uh, community out from public comment. So I, I do credit him for initiating that change. Yeah. So first, so back up a little bit. So first they cut the comments down and then they said that uh, only certain number of, of commenters and then they pushed everybody outside and then they wouldn't let anybody come in, even if they weren't, even if they were commenting. So they had to come in like yep. in a dark room or whatever. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, and then one at a time. Mm-hmm. So talk about that a few minutes and then, and then. Yeah. I, I, I think they, weaponized a few bad well not, and I'm confident that they did and I know they did they, I, I, and all um, public officials will get nasty grams nasty emails and I am confident people went over the line um, but if they did if people went over the line those things needed to be reported and what I've understood is that the and from FOIA we see that I think a couple of the um, one or two of these um, really, over the line and threatening type of emails that were sent to board members were reported to police, but one of them was found to be um, within First Amendment. Um, uh, uh, did not violate. Uh, um, it wasn't a threat. Yeah, it wasn't a threat. Arm, didn't, yeah. didn't rise to that level. And another one was, um, you know, traceable to the dark web. So who knows where that originated? But they weaponized those against the good people that were there to speak. Now, do they get um, passionate and say things? Yeah, you can go up there and call people idiots. That's fine. I mean, I've been on the receiving end of that and, you know, for years. No, you haven't, Debbie. No, I've never called you an idiot. (laughs) Well, one person in particular for a while, for a lot of years, but the, but that's, that is, that's part of it. And, but they weaponized it against the people that came every week. And there was no question. They, They saw the sign up list. They know who was coming. They know who they are. But look, Debbie, Debbie, flip the script, though. This is my favorite thing to do. Flip the script. Let's say it was a predominantly conservative board and all these speakers were left-wing activists pushing for 80-40 and pushing for CRT training and bias Mm -hmm. training and diversity and equity and blah, blah, blah. I mean, how? what would be the possibility? What would be the odds like that the school board could ever do what they did against those speakers. And and we never would. No way in hell. Like it could never happen. And every time there was, while I was on the board, there was discussion at times on ways to, um, you know, to kind of take control of some of the, because some board meetings could be very long and there were meetings around um, boundary issues. Boundary issues. My um, God, just let the computers do that, Debbie. Yeah. Just let the computers (laughs) do that. The budget or the budget. Or, I mean, right. you know, Budget, the moment that there might be a, you know, the, the if you, um, not the moment, if there's going to be a, a, requ- a, a motion to reduce some funding around special education, you will instantly see an active community that will be more than 100, spe- you know, and you, you should never limit the, uh, in my opinion, I mean, and I sat there with, you know, and, and got called names and, and we had very angry, passionate speech. And I, as much as it was a long night, knowing that we were going to have 200 speakers on a certain night, I welcomed it every time. And I sat there and I tried to be respectful of everybody offering their opinion, even when it was negative, because that is, and I've always thought one of the best ways to diffuse um, public um, anger is to sit and listen. And that's what they actually didn't do. 
They haven't listened. And they right. actually poured gas on the, and by continuing to put the barrier, literal barriers and pat downs and taking away. Well, how much was that? Voice. How much of that was actually, I mean, isn't it sort of theater at some point? I mean, they're yeah. basically, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, put thoughts in their head or whatever, or, or put words in their mouth. But to, to me, at some point, it felt like, how can we make the other people look like bad guys? Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's what they did. They made well, it look they made like it, they, yeah. you know, and then the FBI, yeah. you know, uh, started talking about, you know, white supremacist terrorists harassing school board members. And you know who that was targeted to. It wasn't yeah. like that was random. No, right? no, it, it, it was, it actually made people more angry than if they had just welcomed. I mean, and again, it, it started from a manufactured, um, incident on that June 22 meeting. That's actually sure. the hardest part of this for me is that they, there was a, a, an emotional outburst from an angry crowd, but it happened. What happened in response to that was they knew, they knew, they knew on in, they knew the day that that incident happened at Stonebridge. They knew what happened. They knew it when they considered the policy that night and they lied and they lied. They lied. That's not a good idea. Never a good idea. And I mean, you're a parent. The first yeah. thing you know is that if you mess up, you better not lie about it because it's just going to make it worse. Absolutely. And they did. And they, and they, so I think that we are at a position where, yeah, the election is over. So some, I mean, and I think we all feel like, oh, thank goodness. I mean, people, Republicans, Democrats, and independents who voted for Yonkin are like, at least we know going into this. Um, these new variants and watching what's happening in other, you know, more liberal places, the, the, this tendency to start locking down again, we're all like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, because we feel like our children are going to be prioritized and be in school. So the school board has just absolutely refused to acknowledge their role in creating the, and, and particularly in Loudoun, the, the, the angst that crosses political lines Mm -hmm. They've refused to accept any responsibility for the angry public comment that they're getting. And they refuse to acknowledge any of their failures through this, through the handling of this and all of these other issues. It, it's we, I look forward to the next election and, and, and having hopefully new, new um, and responsible faces to represent us and our children. Absolutely. Yeah. So the next election in Virginia for school board will be, Two years. Yeah. Two years. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, any of these other, before I let you go, because I know we have to go uh, before are any of these other recalls going to have any effect. I don't think, I don't think, I, don't, I mean, Beth I ended up resigning. Who knows mm -hmm. if, if yeah. the judge would have done anything there. And she had the, she had the strongest case. She right. actually yeah. broke some, some FOIA yes. rules and all yes. that. I mean, I'm, allegedly. I mean, I don't yes. Know. But, um, but, uh, but you don't think any of these other recalls are going to turn into anything? I feel like the judges, they're going to be very um, thoughtful in the process. I'm, I'm confident in the, um, our Loudoun County judges who have been handling this have been very thoughtful in the process. I think they're going to be very responsive um, and, you know, not just, they're not going to see this for what some people claim it to be is just a voter suppression issue. It's not, sure. it's angry parents who are looking at the way that these board members have handled themselves and, um, and their behavior in some of these private groups and, and, um, their actions and that they knew about this sexual assault and didn't speak up. Right. So 
I think that they're going to be thoughtful in the process, whether or not it can be, um, you know, ultimately a legal reason for, uh, you know, whether uh, to remove them. I don't know. But I think there will be a little bit of a process that plays out before there's a final decision on that. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident in our, our local judges to do the right thing. Excellent. Well, thanks, Debbie. Look, I appreciate you coming on. I know there's a lot more to say on this topic, but I wanted to <laughs> yeah. talk to someone who is here on the ground and engaged and involved. As you may know, I, I try not to get involved with these things anymore. I'm trying to check out, right? Me too. I couldn't. I want to talk about philosophy and religion and, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, this seems, this seems so, uh, it was so central to the, this previous election. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to talk to somebody who knew what was going on. So I really appreciate you coming on sure. and we will, um, and we'll talk about it again. I'm sure it's not mm -hmm. like we won't have other school issues, right? <laughs> There'll always be a school issue. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, thanks again. So and for those who are listening, uh, please go have a great conversation. Play by. Thanks for listening to Rules of the Game. Please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share with all your friends who are looking for thoughtful discussions. To get the full experience, please join the Great Conversations Network, where you can participate more directly, and that is at gc.inded.us. And don't forget to find and support our mothership and benefactor, Independent Education, at inded.us. Thanks for listening.